Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast, where our goal is to keep you motivated, inspired, and energized. As a runner, or perhaps you are looking for the right motivation to become one, you've definitely found the right place. We share inspirational stories from real runners, motivating running-related information, and much more to help you feel good about your running. And now your host and a longtime feel-good runner himself, Jim Lynch. Well, hello, runners. How are you doing out there? My name is Jim Lynch, and this is my podcast, Feel Good Running. Welcome to it. You know, we're a running podcast for all types of runners, road runners, trail runners, endurance athletes, new runners, even you if you bought a brand new pair of shoes and you started out today, this podcast is for you. And I was a few days delayed in getting this out because I thought my new intro outro production would be done by now. It's almost done, but not quite. And I was kind of holding out for just a little bit. Well, it's fall now. How about that? And you know what? I love this time of the year to run. You got the cool, crisp mornings, the turning leaves, the beauty out there is just spectacular. You know, here in Denver, it's been still warm, still hitting in the 80s during the day, but we do have those crisp, cool mornings. And I'll tell you what, it's been really dry. We haven't had a lot of moisture out here in the past several months. The other thing going on here is the smoke from these fires from the West Coast, Colorado, Uh, up in the mountains and California, Oregon and Washington state, that smoke has pushed this way and it's kind of hovering in the Denver area. So when you go out and run, you can feel it in your chest. It's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of unpleasant. And we haven't had any real type of weather change or, or wind to blow all this out of here. So we're dealing with a little bit of that. But I hope everybody on the West Coast is safe and you're able to get outside to some degree to run or do some of the outdoor activities that you probably like to do. So we have reached a milestone in Feel Good Running. We surpassed 10,000 downloads. I cannot thank all of you for supporting the show over the last year and a half. It means so much to me. And for all you new listeners, thank you for checking us out and giving us a shot. And, you know, I hope you all will continue to listen and share these podcast episodes from Feel Good Running with your running friends and on your social media platforms. I really, truly appreciate you. Thank you very, very much. So runners, as we all know, our sport has felt the effects of this pandemic. And most in-person running races from the New York Marathon, a large one like that, to your local 5Ks have been canceled and, and many of them have gone virtual this year. Some of them will come back and sadly, some of them are just not going to make it. But I do have some good news. I'm starting to see some in-person, smaller races being held uh, here in the Denver area, which is very exciting. And I think there's been a couple marathons out there. Omaha, Nebraska just had theirs and apparently it went really well. Uh, They had some pretty tight restrictions, but at least they were able to pull it off. So what's the current status of running races and what does the future look like for running events? And for runners, what will be the changes and what can you expect from these events? What are they going to look like? What are the restrictions going to be? Well, my two guests today are going to go a long way to answer those questions. Andrea Dowdy is the CEO and Executive Director of the Colfax Marathon Partnership, and Cree Kelly is the Race Director of the Colfax Marathon here in Denver. This team together, Andrea and Cree, have built over the past several years one of the most successful, 
highly recognized premier running events in the country. The Colfax Marathon spans over two days with seven races held in May. Of course, it was canceled this year, as with most races. Andrea and Cree's involvement in the running community far exceeds putting on the Colfax Marathon. They recently put a tremendous amount of thought, effort, and time in designing recommended guidelines for small-to-large running events. These guidelines were released through Running USA and are being embraced by race directors and running event organizers all across the country. And you can get a copy of this document in the episode show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. I believe this episode is extremely important for all runners, race directors, event coordinators, volunteers, charities connected to running events, sponsors, vendors, and basically any business or individual connected to running. That's how important I think this episode is to the running community. The discussion you are about to hear is what the future of running races will be for months and maybe years to come. So please share this episode with anybody connected to running. Again, it's really that important to the running community. Okay, one story I want to share with you about the Colfax Marathon and something they did a few months back. The Colfax Marathon recently donated 2,000 post-race and volunteer shirts from its warehouse to the Colorado Sewing Coalition to make face masks to give to the unemployed. How cool is that, right? You know, being a race director, I know that we keep a, a lot of extra surplus in the warehouse from previous races. So what a great way to distribute old shirts and help out the community. I, I just give them a lot of credit for doing that. It's really a wonderful thing that they did. All right, now it's time for you all to enjoy this very informative and important discussion on the future look of running events with my special guests, Andrea Dowdy and Cree Kelly. I would like to uh, welcome Cree Kelly and Andrea Dowdy to the podcast today. Uh, these are two individuals that are really have their tentacles into the running world. Cree is the uh, race director for the Colfax Marathon, and Andrea is the CEO and executive director of the Colfax Marathon Partnership. And a little bit about Cree, I don't know if we have enough time on this podcast to go into everything that you are into or have done, but I'm just going to read off a few things. You're one of the founders of Running USA. You're a highly sought out, recognizable race announcer for 41 years. And that includes the Walt Disney World Marathon every year for the past 25 years. You're a Colorado Running Hall of Fame inductee and a Running USA Hall of Champions inductee. I think when I look into some digging I did, you have a 232 PR marathon back in the day. Yeah. Back okay. <laughs> Back well, hey, I'm in the same boat as you are, Cree. And you served in the US military and you've been cancer free since 2013. So uh yeah. there's wow. there's a lot more I could talk about, but that's it. And Andrea, I, like I said, you're the CEO and executive director of the Colfax Marathon Partnership for the past 10 years and and an avid runner. So you're both connected in, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I can't say I have as many years as Cree in the running industry or the sports industry, but I actually worked in the sports industry at the Walt Disney Company um, prior to uh, 
working for Colfax Marathon. So it's uh, been fun to see both sides of the house, kind of the big, you know, big entity running industry and sports industry, and then you know, really working hands-on to produce, um, you know, a marathon in, in the U.S. That's awesome. When I moved back to uh, Colorado in February of this year, my goal was to run the Colfax Half Marathon. And I ran it in, I believe it was 2013 or 14. It was the year that Vince DeCroach ran his last marathon. Do you oh. remember Vince? Yeah, yeah. And I came out here to run with Vince with his group. And uh, we all came across the finish line together. I love your marathon. It really is one of the best ones, in my opinion, out there. So I came back in March or in February. And in March, I believe, towards the end of March, there was the kickoff to the Colfax Marathon events at Runner's Roost on Colorado Boulevard. Yeah. That event. I went to that and we were a little concerned, not necessarily for the marathon, but more because running to the green was coming up and we were worried that they were going to cancel it because the pandemic was just starting to become noticed. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that was canceled. And then I think you had an event at the Lakewood store that was canceled. So being race directors of a big event of 20,000 plus people, when that came about the pandemic, what did you do? So, um, Andrea, I'll start and then you can follow up. <clears throat> we saw, you know, we saw the lightning striking and we knew that this could have an impact on us. We were hopeful that this would be short-lived. And I think a lot of people without the benefit of much scientific knowledge, we didn't really understand, but we thought maybe in May it would be okay. But we started working behind the scenes, perhaps in a way that, you know, it was more of a, hey, go ask your closest friends in government to get us, you know, um, a way to continue with our event, if not in May, um, then give us a later date uh, in the summer or fall. And we got our hands slapped pretty quickly and we're told to get in line. Uh, there was no, no variance for Colfax. It's going to be, everybody's going to be in the same boat. And that was what Andrea and I started talking about very, very intensely for the next probably two weeks. And I'll let Andrea add to that. It's okay. She turned into a map. I don't think I'm a map anymore, correct? No, you're still a map. Yeah, you're a map. Yes, I did turn into a map temporarily. You know, but speaking of map, that's what we had to do is we really kind of had to map out what it is we were going to look at. Um, you know, obviously, the the hope was to do something in 2020. And, you know, when we stepped back, we, we not only had you know, over 13,000 runners already signed up for a 20,000 person race, but we had 1,300 relay teams of which 900 are corporate and government where they're pulling employees together and working on training programs and plans. And then we had 200 charities that were already signed up to be partners. So when we started looking at it, we had to look at it from many angles. It was the runners um, first and foremost, but it's also, you know, how could we set up something or set up a solution um, that would really really work for everyone. You know, how is it going to work for companies and relay teams and charities and the like? And at that point, um, we were hoping we could ride into the fall and be able to have a fall date and potentially put it on. But it became very obvious every day as we move forward, that wasn't going to happen. 
So for us, um, you know, fairly soon we were able to say not only we couldn't have a May event, but we were not going to be looking at a fall event. Um, I think for our our population, there's so much about the in-person part of it. Um, they want to be there on race weekend. There's so much camaraderie with companies and charities and, you know, working that whole community, that three-way community working together that um, we really made the decision to not only offer folks options, but really strongly encourage people to think about deferral. And even without us saying much, we had 90% of our runners really just wanted to wait until 2021 to get that full experience back again. So it became an interesting summer and fall as we were looking at, you know, what does that look like? What does the pandemic look like for our industry? We knew what our decision was, but the question was, now that we've made that decision, what does the entire industry look like over the next nine months? And how can we get involved in that? So that's where this program that started. And I'll let Cree speak to that. Yeah. And I said more in depth, um, you know, background, Jim, as a, as a race director. Uh, and, it, and it's interesting. We as runners that sign up for events, and I include myself in this bucket and my, my 5.30 a.m. running group, which has been in suspense, you know, suspended since March. Um, they would often say to me, how come you guys, I mean, you know, this, this you're, you're making this much more difficult. And they're not talking about the pandemic. I mean, just putting on an event. And why do you have to charge so much money and all the other things? And I would patiently explain it. Well, one of the very first things that, and I'll give Andrea full marks on this. Um, I knew that this is something we should do on a micro level, but she had to work on a macro level to get the budget um, to see what impact will this have on every line item on the budget and what what are we going to do? I mean, can we survive? What's our survivability probability? What what What's the cost analysis? And so I do remember one day going to the office and Andrew and I just went down line item by line item and and she was making what I would call rapid fire decisions. And, um, but the impact of those decisions were, was pretty consequential. And there were a couple of two or three line items and supply chain options that had she not made the decision when she did, our financial picture would have looked remarkably different. And I, I want Andrea just to speak to that. And then we can get into the dynamics of the guidelines. Yeah, I think it was interesting. I do remember that that day in the office. And uh, for example, one of the things that had come up is we're in shirt production, you know, and it's overseas in China. So several co- days later, and it was conversation after conversation, we realized that, um, you know, we've created fabric, we milled the fabric, we'd started running prototypes. And the first thing I said is, can you pull the year off the shirt? So that if we, you know, in printing of the shirt, um, we, we wanted to ha- not have a year on it so that we have a backup plan if, if we can't run in 2020. And then I called back a day later and I said, well, don't just pull the year off or don't just change it to 2021. Can we just take it off entirely? That was a yes. And then I said, can we just hold? Um, what is it? What does our timeline look like if we wanted to hold production right now? How long can I hold it for before I have to make that final decision? So it was interesting working with the variety of vendors such as shirts to say, we were able to stop production, to stop the costs producing something that was dated and no longer relevant. Um, we were able to stop that mid-flow. And, and we did that in a variety of different places um, we had in terms of vendors. Shirts is just a, is a super simple example. 
Um, but I think by doing that and acting so quickly, we are able to stop things from happening that would just be money we'd be spending that actually wouldn't go anywhere if we didn't have a 2020 event. So it was it was interesting working in that vein and also working with folks like I could pick out uh, someone like Race Joy who does um, our app on race day so relay members can find each other, your relay runner is approaching, that kind of an app. Um, you know, talking to them to say, can we stop? Um, and when do we have to pull the trigger again? And if we do stop for this year, can you put us on board for next year? And it was amazing to see these different vendors in the industry kind of working together to figure out how are we going to make this work for everyone possible so that we aren't throwing away items, we aren't paying uh, on contracts that never actually get executed so that we can survive into the next year and offer runners like, the same experience in a future race that we would have in a current race. We don't have to cut every single corner as we will look down the road. You were pretty close uh, when the pandemic hit to your actual event in May. Yeah. So you probably had a lot of gears in motion at that time. You know, and I know a lot of the other big races like Boston and Chicago, I'm sure they have a warehouse filled with stuff now. And we're able to get rid of that, some of it through the virtual races. But you also had a lot of pre-registrations, a lot of money for 2020 and had to make some pretty tough decisions at that point, And the deferrals were one of them. What do you think the status is right now? And, and not just talking about the uh, the Colfax marathon, but the race industry in general, I know we're going to talk in a little bit about the procedures and that you put together and the guidelines, but where do you see it now? What percentage do you think will survive? What percentage do you think some of these races will never come back? You know, I, I think about that all the time. I think about, I go back to my, the, the first race I ever put on in uh, January of 79. And, uh, this was before I had formed a company in December of 80. And had this happened at that time to me, it would have been a catastrophic um, axe hitting my neck. I think there are a lot of, and I hate to use the term mom and pop, but there are a lot of very um, simple, small companies that love the sport, love running and took the risk to create a an opportunity to make a living. And, you know, they are basically sheltering in place and wondering, you know, was this the worst possible business decision I've ever made in my life? And um, I think there are also equally a large number of large events that weren't economically managed well. And I think um, their business models were shattered in the same process. Now, good people tend to find good ways to survive. And Andrea and I have been speaking to literally hundreds of race directors. Andrea had, gets calls, uh, I think, almost daily. I get them all the time as well from friends and other states and uh, even in other countries um, saying, what are you doing and how are you doing it? And what are you, how are you going to be able to survive? And, and I think that's where creativity comes into play. And I know we'll probably talk about the virtual model and so on, but I think Andrea, she has much more uh, of a finger on the pulse because of some of the people she's talked to very recently. You know, I think it's interesting. Um, as I talk to different race instructors across the country, we all had a different approach coming through this um, particular time period. Um, for example, some people were able to look at their uh, finances and say, you know what, 
I already produced everything for my race. I need everyone to go to virtual. You know, I've got my shirts, my medals, my this, my that. And the only way I can really pay off the fact that I've taken registration money and I've got so much in costs and so much sunk in is to really provide a great, great virtual product and a great virtual experience. And so I think as everybody went through it, that's a good example. For us, we were in the in the mind frame of we put a lot of costs in, but we can make it if people defer. And we wanted to give people that opportunity. And it was interesting in the Colorado market, there's a lot of virtual races out there. People weren't, yeah, there's some people interested in virtual, but almost all of our runners went to 2021. So I think for every entity, it's really stepping back and saying, what does my financial model look like? Um, what did I do in t- 2018 and 19? And what am I going to change to make my business viable in 2021? Cree and I talk about it all the time. You know, if this pandemic continues and we are exactly where we are today in two years, we're going to have a very different business model for Colfax Marathon. We're not going to be putting on a 20,000 person race. So when we step back this right now and said, what can we do to help the industry? And I know we're going to talk about guidelines, but what we did is said we want to put on a fall event, you know, limited numbers. We're going to call it welcome back, Denver, Denver runs again. We want people to feel like, and let me try it out. Let my friends try it out. Let me see if I can have a safe experience at a race. Let me see if I'm having the fun and the enjoyment out of it. So we felt like that's how we could really do something personally in terms of putting an event right now. And we also want to say to ourselves, you know, we wrote these guidelines. We know they work, but we also want to say, how far up can they ramp? You know, we always build guidelines to ramp to a race of at least 2,500 or 3,000 or more. We're going to start out with 700 because the governor's mandates. But, you know, if we can, we can look at this footprint and say, how far up can we scale this? And we may need to, you know, we, none of us know what the future looks like in the next six months. So I think for us, those were the things we were thinking about is what do runners want right now? Runners, some of runners want to get out there and have that. I feel like I'm part of it experience, real-time experience, not virtual. So let's help them out. And let's also really get things just nailed in the ground that you can absolutely do all these specifics and all these guidelines that they make sense, put into place. And so Cree and I are watching other races now across the street, use the guidelines and we're listening to their feedback. What works, you know, how's it going, that type of thing. And it's, it's been fun to watch in person and also hear their feedback after their race. Um, so in terms of who's going to make it, I think it's the people who can take their business model and flip it on the fly. I heard about Boko Hats suddenly doing tons of masks. They went from the hat business to the mask business. I heard Ashworth Awards in New Hampshire. They're not manufacturing metals in China. They had built, they had bought, purchased some equipment to do metals very quickly on the fly for small events. And suddenly that purchase a year and a half ago is how they're surviving. So I think people are having to put on really different hats now than they used to have and say, what do I look like in 2021 so I can maybe get back to who I was in 2022? Interesting. Um, the Maui Marathon canceled way back in April, and it's an October race. Took some heat for that because it was early. People are saying, come on, six months away. Well, obviously, it was a good decision. Now it looks like they were a genius. But the the key, I think, also is good management, 
of races, possibly and hopefully good cash reserves that if you have a rainy day, which this would be a rainy day, you have that money to kind of sustain you if you have to do what you had to do this year into next year. Yeah. The other question I have is I've also noticed that there are some races that are some couple major races that have canceled 2021 are not coming back till 2022. Right. Big Sur is one of them. The Rock and Roll half in Denver and the Rock and Roll New Orleans. They both have pushed into 2022. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I think uh, with full disclosure, I'm one of the uh, several announcers for many of the rock and roll events. I hope I will be again someday in the future, <laughs> but cause that's an income thing. Uh, I think that, you know, those behemoths, uh, well, rock and roll, especially many, many, many events, they had just uh, finished doing a deal where, you know, they were sold. And through that process, I'm quite sure in February, they weren't thinking pandemic and they were pretty comfortable with their economic model and they were probably going undergoing an evaluation of which events do they want to keep? Where do they want to expand and which events do they, you know, simply want to eliminate? So, you know, I think they had a much more complex uh, business model to, to deal with. I think on the big Sur case, having gone through one cancellation and then being faced, they were hit so hard. I felt so sorry for them. Um, Andrea has, has spoken to them. But the, but I think the the bigger thing is that if you had a good a good business model and you were paying attention to it, and I think people, you know, a lot of I heard a lot of runners say, well, you should have planned for having, you know, like any good business, two to three months of money in advance and all this other nonsense. You know, races never had to consider that. They were just simply going to the next year. They were replanning. And so they they were moving along. Now, uh, those that did have some money and they had some smart people that had a business eye to this quickly and just didn't wait and hope for the best. Uh, you know, not everybody's a Boston or New York and has huge cash reserves. They just aren't. Um, and uh, Andrea can speak to that, but it, I think it's very rough, uh, even if you're a medium or large size event. And no matter what decision you make, you're going to upset participants. They're either going to feel like their ox got gored or that you're just ripping them off. Or, I mean, I've heard it all. But we are in a much uh, more positive marketplace now that everything is sort of settled in. I think your normal runner really does understand the impact. I I agree with Cree. I think... um... Cash reserves, um, if a business didn't build up any cash reserve, if you're small, you're in a different, cat. it's a different category. If you've got any size to your company, if you haven't built a cash reserve, you have to wonder, <laughs> you know, you need, really need to as a business. Any business needs to have some sort of cash reserve. You never know when you're going to get blizzard for six weeks before your race and, and registrations are going to plummet. You never know when a sponsor is going to drop out. You know, so you have to have those cash reserves. Having said that, they're not going to float everyone for a year. You can't give away a whole year. And if you've already spent nine months working on an event and incurred all those costs, your cash reserves may not cover it, but they're going to help you out quite significantly so that you can get back on your feet. And I think for us, when we thought about it, 
our goal at the end of the day is we said, we want to give a runner an experience, the same experience that they pay for. We'll let you do it in 21. We'll let you do it in 22. In terms of what races are on for 21 or not, um, I think rock and roll is a different scenario. Um, they've actually indicated they don't even know if they're coming back. So they had kind of said, no 21, no 2020 for Denver. We might come back to the region in 2020, in 2022. So I don't think that's necessarily them saying, oh gosh, no races in 21. I think that's a business decision that they made in the markets that weren't as strong for them. So we'll see if they come back in 22. Um, hard to say yes or no. Big Sur was in a different bucket. But if I look at across the rest of the country, right now we're all in full planning mode for 21. I think we have to be because we don't know what the future looks like. So we're full board planning. You know, I've already got 10,000 runners because of all the deferrals. So we've got a good pocket. Um, we'll probably re- open up registration, I think, late fall, um, just because we do have half our runners already. So that time frame makes a lot of sense for us. Um, but we're planning forward, but we're also planning plan B and plan C. And all the plans that we do come up with, we just kind of step back and go, we've got charities, we've got runners, and we've got companies. And so well, let's come up with the best decision for all that. What we don't want to do is just come out right now and say, let's open up registration, but offer you a refund. If in a month we change our minds, it just, it's not the way I think runners feel. Runners feel like they sign up, they have a goal, they're looking forward to something. And so right now we, those mixed messages make no sense to us. So, you know, we'll open registration, um, like I said, lightly late fall. um, And we're really open with runners when they email us and say, and if they say, well, I just want to make sure I get in fine. We'll put you on our short list. You know, you'll get the first dibs just like we did for this last race. You want to know, we'll put you on that first list when we open it back up. So um, it's, it's, it's an interesting um, world we're living in, but I think right now we're all proceeding forward so we can put on a 21 if we're ready. But we're also anxious to see what are 5,700 people at a Broncos uh, Tampa game? What is that going to look like? Um, what comes out of that? What, are, what have we learned from that? Um, what else is coming up that's starting to attract more um, spectators or more participants? And what are they learning and finding out? Um, one thing Korea and I did figure out is that for our race, um, compared to like a Chicago marathon where you've got 40,000 people at the start line, our race has a variety of distances. So we've got an urban 10 miler that starts out in Lakewood. We've got five relay exchange zones, four of which aren't in City Park. So we talk constantly about you know, if the city or if the governor wants us to keep people a little more separated, you know, how do we divide up our race in a little bit um, different portions or portions on race day to make it feel not like 20,000 people at a start, but hey, we've got a couple thousand here and a couple thousand here. And how do we fit into the world? So we're constantly thinking about what are the different scenarios we should think about should the governor not be ready to let our state and let our event happen in May? Well, I think that uh, Denver is very lucky because we have two incredibly amazing people that are putting on the Colfax Marathon. We've got Cree who has put on a couple thousand races and he's been the race director since 2006. And Andrea, you've been with the Colfax Marathon since 2010. So you know the business. You've got a staff that you've built that knows the business so you can move ahead in these trying times and continue to change the format, change the platform of it. So it still meets the needs of the runners, the community, the city, the governor or whoever. And that's why you will survive. And I think fairness to runners 
and you made a good point, Andrea, is that, you know, runners just want to have a, a solid answer. They don't want all this flipping stuff that's going on with some races. So let's move move on to um, to the future. And I got to say, I I really went through your recommended guidelines, guidelines for small to large running events. And it really was a detailed, comprehensive guide not only for you, because I think you based it on Colorado and the governor's orders, but this is something that I think you shared in Running USA that made, you know, a press release. And you, this can be applicable to any race, any size, anywhere. Yeah. Um, how did this all come about? All right. So there's, there's an interesting evolution to this process. So I think I don't think it's unfair to suggest that Andrew and I both were very, very, very frustrated in April trying to get some logical pathway to have our event in 2020. And um, and we we quickly discovered that government doesn't quite work at the same uh, rate of speed that we enjoy. because we're much more entrepreneurial, I think, and, and, uh, aggressive. We don't have to, we only have to consider our narrow silo. So we were on a call with the office of special events, which is under the city, uh, under the mayor's office. Uh, the mayor appoints the director of the office of special events. And we sit on a committee, uh, on that and, we're sort of wrapping up in a meeting that included some of the major events uh, in, in the city and county of Denver. These are large uh, uh, festivals and uh, gatherings and uh, we were the largest race, but there, there were just a wide variety of uh, uh, people on it that are absolutely seasoned veterans in, in putting on special events. And toward the end of that, they were talking about, well, we need to start writing some guidelines and so on. And at some point, I'm fairly confident, if I remember this correctly, that Andrea said, well, we're not a festival. I mean, we have a festival, but we're not a festival. Um, we're a running and walking event. Cree and I can help spearhead the discussion on how to do that for that. I think in their wisdom, they decided that they w- they wanted others to volunteer for their sectors, festivals and parades and whatever else. And so people did. And at that point, and I think this was early May, mid-May. And um, at that point, we do- we doubled down. Andrew and I just doubled down. And she is very good at word crafting. And so she sort of started taking a stab at that. We had discussions. She would type things out. We'd kick them back and forth. And then we also, at the same time, spoke to industry colleagues about how they would do this physically. And one of the things I always enjoy doing as an operations guy is drawing what this would look like physically, because I like pictures. And and so that's how it started. Andrea, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that's very true. The um, the city doesn't have an expert they on how to put on a running event. Office of Special Events is permitting and some things like that. Their folks don't sit there and put on events every day. So for us, one of the points we were trying to make is the governor, although he doesn't want more than 10 people in the group, he loves when hundreds of people are out in the parks across the city. 
And we said, well, that's kind of who we are. We don't run on top of each other. Sometimes we run with a friend, but otherwise it's like, stay away from me. I, I need my space. So we're like, we're this whole different entity. If we don't throw a little festival at the end, we can have events that are, have a lot more people than um, let's say a farmer's market or an art festival. And we didn't want to be put in that bucket because our fear was, if you say to us, and you're right, the governor said 175, if you say we can only have events of 175 or less, we can't get any of the small entities in the industry to make any money. You cannot break even on a 175 person race. So we wanted to write the guidelines in such a way that we could show the city and the state that you could put on an event that actually had more participants because they were so strung out over miles. They weren't all in a little area with tents. So that's why we wanted to take it on because we knew that there were a lot of small entities that'd be out of business if they had to start thinking 175 people. So even in that first you know, draft and the first approved guidelines that we had, we have 700 people in an event by having four start times and staggering it out. So we feel, felt like we weren't going to go out the chute unless we had that 700 because then we knew we could grow from there. So I think that's why Cree and I really wanted to put the time and effort into it to help the industry get back on its feet, to make sure that we all weren't doing the same thing. I could see hundreds of people across the state trying to write the same darn guidelines when really you can just get one set and then everybody can extrapolate. The other thing that we were really concerned about is we wanted to make sure that we didn't get rogue organizations in the city or the state starting to put on events where they weren't paying attention to safety and health guidelines and therefore potentially shut the industry down for two or three years. Hey, COVID's, people are getting COVID by running races. We got to shut it down. We, we saw that could happen, um, not from the seasoned people in our industry, but from some people that are newer that didn't know really and understand how you could put on an event sex successfully. So that's how it kind of all gets started. And then I think we never realized how, how much work we were going to end up putting oh, into it. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was one of the things that I said to Andrea um, at, uh, I don't know, within two weeks, I said, oh, my God, I think I'm, I feel like I'm writing my graduate thesis, you know, and, and this is a lot harder. Uh, it's a much more comprehensive document. and we had so many considerations. I mean, it, it would have been a fascinating paper to write in graduate school. You could, you could present this and you'd get an, you know, it, it, anyway, I just think that was part of it. And I think Andrea brought certain really important skills to the table to help us navigate that. And um, then it, then it become, became really fun to execute. Okay. I'm going to draw this. She'd take one of my diagrams and go, wait, can you do this and change that? And eventually had to buy a new program just to be able to accommodate all her interesting ideas. And, but, but we did it very quickly and, um, and we wanted answers. We wanted them to approve it. We, we thought, well, this is common sense. This will be great. We'll do it. And little did we know how government works. You know, I think we learned along the way, we started with city of Denver and then we realized that early on, the mayor was driving a lot of the decisions for COVID. But then after, when it got more serious, the governor really was driving the vote for the state of Colorado. And the cities were following, you know, let's say 90% or 80%, depending on the city and, and with their levels of coronavirus. So we realized that we weren't going to make any impact if we just stayed at the city level. We had to go to the state level. So we got involved with the state of Colorado and they were 
um, great to give us an audience so we could talk through. So when the governor put the guidelines out that started discussing running and running in groups, it wasn't just like the volleyball league where you can have 25 adults. We didn't want to be stuck in that 25 number. We wanted to have these bigger, bigger numbers to bring the industry back. And they listened. And then what we realized is that even though the governor's office was nodding and the mayor's office was nodding, that we really need the Denver Department of Health and the Colorado Department of Health mm -hmm. to accept what we wrote. Um, because otherwise, we were all going to end up submitting paperwork for permits and then having these local uh, medical entities trying to fine tooth go through every single line item. So if we had Colorado Department of Health and somebody could go and say to their county, I've got Colorado Department of Health approving this, the governor's office approving this. Um, can you look at it? And they felt more comfortable that they had a good starting point. So um, like we said, <laughs> we started out with one with one goal in mind. Let's just figure out how it would work and let's set some guidelines up. And it became a bigger and bigger project. Um, but you're right. Now, people across the country are using it and we're really glad they are. And people do ask questions all the time. They might have come up, you know, they take our word doc and then they alter it to fit their government governor's, you know, um, current policies and current guidelines. And so it's been great because we feel like in the industry, others have been doing, it's not just Cree and I doing work, but there's others in the industry across the country that are doing other work in virtual and the like. And it's become this huge collaborative effort for all of us to stay, you know, grounded and on our feet and, and moving forward even during this time. Well, the, the the good thing is, is you may have saved a lot of races with this, by the way, just mm. looking at it. I'd like to dig into it just okay. a little bit. While I was reading this, I'm putting myself into your shoes, in my race director's shoes, thinking there's a lot of things you have to think about when you put something like this together, because there's a lot of gathering points that's involved with any type of race, all the way from packet pickup to the start line, to the aid stations, to the yeah. medical tents, to the finish line, to the parking. I mean, you probably oh, had yeah. to slice and dice for days to get all that. But you came down to two levels, at least in this, where one of them was a max of 700 runners with four start times. And then a level two, which is really interesting, with 2,500 runners with 14 start times. Yeah. And can you kind of... Can, it's going to be different. And for the runners out there that are listening, I have a link to this on the show notes uh, for this episode that you can go to and you can pull this document down and take a look at it to understand. But it's going to be a different world for a runner when they go to a race. It's not going to be like the old times. What are some of the things in here that runners can expect different than they would have normally? Well, I'll, I'll let you, Andrew, you want me to start and then you'll jump in? Okay. So, a couple of things that are um, important uh, to note is that we realized that because of the pandemic and the way that the governor's office looked at this and the Department of Health, they were willing to accept our guidelines for the 700. They haven't embraced the number 2,500 yet because of, now I think we'll get there. I mean, part of it is proof in the pudding, show how safe we are and so on. So just Keep that in mind. And one of the things that we decided to do, and, and Jim, if you could link to this, it would be really um, constructive, is that we put on our webpage, we created a, a nonprofit called the Colorado Running and Walking Events Alliance. And it's a nonprofit. And, we, and there we house all the information 
that the governor's office and Denver um, puts out as their guidelines. And we try to keep it up to date. Um, and and it is up to date. So just just so you know, that's that's where all that resides. I had that in my notes here, the, the, the alliance. Yeah. So that's that's important. All right. Now, having said that, the myriad of things that if they're just waking up for the first time in seven months and, and thinking races, you know, what's going to be different. It's going to be very different. And um, I think I think Andrea, I mean, she just went out and saw somebody else's event the other day to see what they were doing. And we're putting on our first event on October 10th because it's sold out. You know, we want to look different than the events that we've seen so far. Andrea, do you want to comment on that? I think for the runner. So the runner is going to show up. And instead of showing up all at the same time, you're going to show up at your assigned time. So that's the first thing that runners are going to notice is that the volume of people at the start is radically less because you're you're allocated a start time. You're going to start at 802. And you're going to be lining up six feet apart like you're going to walk into a Target or a Walmart or a supermarket that's crowded. So if it's you and a spouse, you're going to probably stand next to each other before the next group. So it's going to feel like your start line is um, you'll have a start. might be a whistle. We don't use gun time anymore. <laughs> might be a whistle. Um, your, your group is going to start together, but it's going to be a group of 25. So it's a more staggered start environment. We actually do this for our urban 10 miler. So we've been doing it for years at our own race. Um, so that's one thing you'll notice as a runner. The course is going to feel, and of course, you're going to have a mask on. Once you hit the start line, of course, you're going to drop the mask. That was one of the big things that we really push hard for because, you know, you can run with a mask. Most people would prefer not to. Then you're going to run the course and it's going to feel like normal. You know, you're stretched out. Once you get started on the course, you're very stretched out. Then when you approach the finish line, um, you are going to be a grab instead of you grabbing a banana, a bagel, a this, a that. You're going to grab probably a drawstring Ziploc type bag where all your food is already prepacked. It's going to be like um, jelly bellies. It's going to be like peanut butter crackers. It's going to be a granola bar. It's going to be a power board, that type of thing. Uh, all prepackaged items in a bag, just kind of following the health and safety guidelines we have right now. Then the other difference is this is no longer a let's stay with 20,000 of our closest friends party. You know, you're going to be kind of invited to leave. Now, if you go to the other side of the park and have a picnic with your family, that's awesome. Um, we're t suggesting, you know, you don't invite spectators to the start and finish. We're trying to keep that sparse as possible because you're just trying to make the, the healthy for the athletes, and healthy for the runners. You know, we've suggested no dogs, no children under 14, just to get everyone going. We know that adults, I shouldn't say this because I have children, uh, they've grown now, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just easier when you're adults to maintain and understand what it is, the impact this coronavirus could have if you give it to somebody. The other difference is race day reg and packet pickup. No race day reg at this point, because you need people to think about what they're doing before they show up. Did I take my temperature? You know, do I understand that I am bringing my own water to a 5K? I'm not going to have a water station at the mile marker or the two mile marker. I'm going to get my bottle of water at the finish. But halfway through the race, if I'm thirsty, I've got my own water with me. And a 5K, you can do this. If you have race day reg, people aren't going to be prepared when they show up. And it's never going to work. The other thing that we moved off just so that we don't have crowds, because again, the state doesn't want huge crowds and huge lines and like is packet pickup. So we'll do that out to outside of running stores, which is great for running stores. They'd love to have more people, more traffic right now. So we'll have a tent outside of a running store for a elongated set of hours. And you come and you pick your packet up there outside 
grab your packet, and then hopefully you might even pop in and shop at that running store. So it does feel different. It doesn't have that gathering element at the end. You know, at the beginning, we're all half asleep anyway, right? So I'm not sure we feel it. <laughs> it's a vibe, but it's not a gathering. But at the end, you're not going to have that big party for thousands and thousands of people. But you will be able to run. You'll be able to go through start and finish lines. You'll be able to be timed. You'll be able to get a medal, a shirt. You'll be able to feel the vibe of all the people around you, even though you're not all stopped at the end having your own expo or party. So I think that's what the difference is. is. And for us as a race, we're trying to, we're working hard to say, how do we continue to make it enjoyable? Do we have some fun entertainment on the course? What do we do to make sure that people feel like it's not just I'm out for my own run? And oh, by the way, I got a medal, but hey, there's a lot of fun along the way and I still get that camaraderie feel. So that's what we think we all have to work on creatively to make sure runners feel like they get the experience that they were looking for. There's one thing that is dynamically different and it's something that Andrea and I spent a lot of time figuring out and trying to crack the code. We start with the premise that uh, that the intellectual capacity of 99% of endurance athletes is frankly higher than you know if, if you do an academic study you're going to find that they they're better educated they're more uh, aware and they're and they're obviously healthier on average than the human race i mean they're much healthier so and they also want to protect their health because they love participating in endurance activities so having known that we said the burden of proof has to shift i mean yes we'll we'll create a safe environment in that moment operationally, but the burden of proof has to go to the individual participant. When they sign up, they have to go through one extra step, which we uh, borrowed the term back in, uh, we started with it back in April, May, um, a social contract where Jim, they have to agree to certain basic uh, tenets. Well, you know, I will show up healthy. I won't show up with a fever, you know, all these other commonsensical things. We also make sure that um, they have to give us uh, what their anticipated finish time is um, for a 5K. And we limit them to a, a pretty rigorous 55 minutes, which is about, you know, I mean, you're walking three and a half minute mile, three and a half miles an hour. And anybody, almost anybody can do that. So those two, uh, two things went hand in glove. Number one, um, we're going to spread you out just like we always do. We'll seed you fast or slow. We'll do our best to do that. And then secondly, uh, you're going to sign, you're going to agree separately, not just, you're not just signing one big fat waiver. You're actually having to read and sign certain key pieces. And I think that is one of the biggest changes that um, runners will get quickly used to because uh, Andrea rewrote and rewrote and rewrote the social contract until she was satisfied. It was enough information, but it was also uh, distinctive. And, uh, and she follows the registration. I don't think she had any feedback or negative feedback on that. I think the other thing that we did is, um, you know, we thought about when you go off for a race, most people come with a friend. And what you don't want to do is start at a different time than your friend. So when we registered for our race this time, you picked your start, your approximate start line, 8, 9, 10, 11. And we said, you cannot change on race day. So make sure you agree with your friends <laughs> which time you want to start on. And then we said, and if you want to run with your friends, 
make sure you put the same anticipated finish time, pick the slower of your two finish times. So that way on race day, we don't have this mess of people realizing, well, hold on, I put my honest finish time down, um, but I really want to run slower with my spouse and then have this kind of messy thing happening at the start. And I think it comes back to, you just want the runner when they show up to know, I know what I'm doing. I get to be with my friend. And that's the kind of environment I, you know, the safe time I want to have. So we made that kind of really big and bold during registration. And uh, we did have a couple of people who said, ah, geez, I messed up. I'm not with my family. Can I switch? And we got people switched around because we said, race day, mm -mm, can't do it because it'll mess up. And you could create situations where you don't want health problems. I mean, already we're doing all sorts of things like colored bibs at certain times. And if you're in the orange bib, you get this group of bathrooms. And if you're in the blue bibs, you get this group of bathrooms because the health department says we don't want more than X number of people using the same porta potties. So, you know, we're trying to uh, keep it clean and keep it smooth. We don't want somebody showing up orange and too late and their bathrooms are already shut down for the day. So you know, there's some funny things in there we um, created. But at the end of the day, it was all about how does a runner show up and feel like they're going to have fun and feel safe and have a great experience and let us work about all work on all the little bits and pieces in the background to make sure that happens. So, um, so it's been kind of wild and different. And, uh, and like you said, there's a level two, um, we have a document that's just level one, but we also have a level two. So as soon as the state is ready, we already have all the numbers extrapolated. So yes, now take this document that was geared to 700 you can go up to 2,500 and here's how it lays out instead. So we're excited to see that um, as we kind of look forward in the future and events open up that we'll be able to get that level two out. And the way that you have this set up, it's very fluid where you can, you know, add numbers, decrease numbers or whatever, because the template is there. You just have to adapt it to whatever numbers are in the race. Now, I will will say uh, one thing is that, and these are for the runners that are listening, race directors and all their staff and volunteers are really trying to put on a good race for you. But you have to do your part and follow these guidelines. Don't be somebody stray out there that says it doesn't yeah. apply to me. It applies to every single runner for this to work, for races to continue. Yeah, that's a great point. I I think, you know, and and yeah, it's a race and we're going to give you a time, but um, we're not anxious for people to, you know, to set a new 5K PR. Maybe they'll call it their pandemic PR later down the road. But but I think what uh, Andrea came up with another clever idea. Um, you know, we we just always say metal. It always makes me go back to Fred LeBeau said, don't underestimate the power of a T-shirt or don't underestimate the power of a metal now. With a medal, you know, we're used to getting them and they're they're put around our neck at the finish line and and so on. Well, that's all well and good, but that kind of gets in the way of common sense, you know, when you're trying to, to, to manage and exit people as quickly and as efficiently as you can. So she came up with a the idea of a coaster. And I don't know about you, Jim, but in the old days, we didn't even care about medals. Now... And somebody said, where are your Boston Marathon medals? I, I said, I, I think I threw them away. And uh, single one of my medals. Yeah. But a coaster, now a coaster, I can put a coaster out for my evening cocktail and that's cool. Um, 
So she came up with a coaster and they can be handed out at packet pickup. So I don't know, Andrew, talk about why you, I mean, that was a cool idea. I think there's a couple things. I think, um, yeah, you can't hang it around somebody's neck. So that's a little bit bizarre, you know? So it's kind of like, what's a keepsake? What am I going to keep around? So I think that's kind of what we're thinking of. And, you know, it does feel different. So let's go ahead and embrace the fact it feels a little bit different um, and do something that we think people might keep. You know, another race will come up with something different. We want to make it feel like you get your shirt and then you get congratulations, you finished. But here's the other thing we thought. What if you go to pack a pickup and for some reason you feel like, you know what, I'm not sure I do want to race in public. You get that kind of like, huh, maybe I made a wrong decision. Well, we, we give you everything up front. So if you turn around and say, I don't want to run a 5K with 700 people. I want to go run by myself. Now you can because you've already got your poster. So we kind of were thinking like, what makes sense? You know, and, and um, we're coming out the chute and we're trying to come out the chute gently, I think is the right word for it. Um, but that's why we are doing kind of what, what we're doing right now is just, you know, what can we think of? It's a little bit different. It still feels like it belongs or it fits into the world of running. Um, but let's, you know, change it up a little bit just because we're in a different world right now. Yeah. Well, there is one silver lining about the races. The way that you have it set up is it's shorter restroom lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the silver lining in this whole thing. Um, one, one thing is, is the uh, aid stations and, and fluids and gels. What is yeah. that going to look like? Well, uh, we absolutely, I mean, we, so in our, in our guidelines, you'll see a way to run um, a water station. And, and, um, but in the, in the distance of a 5k, and frankly, I think I'd go up to five miles. Um, I don't think there's any need for a water station anyway. I mean, this is just me speaking, you know, people go out and walk all the time in 55 minutes over three miles. I mean, they do it in their neighborhoods and, and eight tenths of them maybe are not carrying any onboard liquid. So I don't think it's it's crisis, but in our case, we're not going to have a water station, but we will give you a sealed bottle of water at the finish line as you exit. So you'll get that. Um, the second thing is in the longer races, uh, gel packs and so on. Uh, certainly, the the best option is onboard gels. You know, we may provide them at packet pickup if we ever get this far along, and I would I would definitely give them packet pickup. Say safety pin them to your belt or uh, however you want to carry them. That's great. But what we don't want is a bunch of, I think it's, it's wrong minded. God bless those that do it differently. But if you have a water station and you're handing out a water bottle, it sounds like such a great solution until you realize that the incredible mess you're making and, and worse tripping and then uh, no recycling ca- capacity in that. So that's my view. Um, we did come up with a model that gives a water station, a safe managed water station. The, both the city and the state medical departments agreed that that was a safe and effective way to do it and solve the problem of recycling. And no contact, just to, they have to get their own water yep. off the table. Yep. I think you bring up a good point too. Um, another reason that we really looked hard at the whole do you need a water station? Why are we doing that? Is because during the time, remember, everything was so fluid. And I think that's why this, these guidelines took us so long. Just when we thought we had it nailed, something else would come up. Okay, don't wear gloves. That's a bad idea. It was a good idea. And everything kept changing. 
How do restaurants serve you a glass of water? And so as things kept morphing, you know, we stepped back and said, you know, this isn't the, that's not, we're not experts in how to hand you a glass of water in a restaurant. You know, we are putting on a race. We're experts at running races. So let's step back and let's keep it simple. We're already adding so much to a race director's plate to be careful of. This was one where we said, you know what? Anyone can carry their own water. Everyone has a hydration pack of some sort. Um, let's let it go. And uh, most of the races that are happening right now are short. And so as Cree said, um, which I think is, is well taken, you know, five miles or less, do you really need water anyway? So if you don't want to carry it, don't carry it. If you like it, go ahead and carry it. But I think it makes it easier on the race director. And I think at some point you have to say, we want to make sure that there's not so many difficult things for a race director to pull off <laughs> that, that he can't do it perfectly. And we feel like the guidelines we put out there, you do have the ability to have to be extremely successful with them. And like the diagram, some of those things that Cree created and looking at all the different ways you could run a start line over, you know, we were when he was coming up with some of those ideas, I thought were brilliant, you know, because you start when he starts mapping him out and diagramming, you're like, yeah, we could, this can be executable. They're saying, you know, be careful. You don't have too many surfaces. You're going to have to keep recleaning surfaces. If runners touch them, we're like, we don't need surfaces. Let's create a surfaceless environment. And so we did that. So again, a lot of this was done to make it so that somebody who uses the guidelines will be successful instead of, oh my gosh, let me triple my staff to try to pull this off. And, you know, which is hard. You know, what's <laughs> interesting in here is that you also have, I noticed uh, that the level of volunteers mm. have to be educated a lot more can't be just a body. It ha they have to be educated per the COVID guidelines. Yeah. In fact, we have a great operations guy who also is our lead announcer, excuse me, a guy named Lonnie Summers. And, you know, two things came to mind. I said, number one, Lonnie, you're going to become the most important person ever at a race because you are going to be the voice. You're going to say everything Andrea needs you to say, or I need you to say, and you're going to have to say it over and over again and with a smile. And and your announcer at the finish line, because they have to be separated by at least 300 meters, they have to be saying the same thing over and over again and do it in a positive way. The second thing that we decided was there's no there's no idea of volunteers showing up on race morning and, and really messing things up. Um, so they absolutely... And in fact, in Lonnie's model, uh, in our model, everybody that will be working at the event has a uh, has had experience working at an event before, and they will be completely briefed um, long before event day. In fact, we say you need to have a, a Zoom meeting or an in-person, however you're going to do it, make sure your people completely know about PPE and all their responsibilities because they are the face of the Colfax Marathon Partnership, a nonprofit. They are, they're representing us. And so he totally got it. And, uh, and I think that that's two, two very important points. And I, so I think volunteers, we don't even use the word volunteers. We call them event staff at this point. I like that. One race that's coming up this weekend that it looks like that they, they put uh, a lot of, the same things that you put into to your guidelines as the Omaha Marathon. Great. If you go online, you can find it, but all the, all the uh, registered runners get this. 
And it looks pretty close to what you put together. Uh, the one thing that they're doing is they're going to have a contactless uh, temperature for all the runners when they come in. So somebody's going to hit them with a temperature thing. When they when they arrive at the location. When they arrive and get to go to the chute, they'll have somebody that does that at the chute. And they're having, I think they have four chutes um, at the yeah. start line. Well, one of the things about the temperature check, this was discussed by the Department of Health, is that it's an imperfect science outside. It's much more effective uh, inside, like at a restaurant or, uh, but, but I, I think just the very fact that they're doing it shows a, a true interest in safety. If, if nothing else, it demonstrates to the participants upon arrival that you're taking this very, very seriously. So I commend them for that. In, in my opinion, and actually not my opinion, it's what I did when I was a race director with the Maui Marathon. Runner safety was the number one priority. Sure. Anything else yep. from start to finish on the course, medic, anything you could think of out there that would make the runner safe. So that all they had to do was look at that next mile marker when it came up without worrying about it or finishing the race. And if they didn't feel good, had some place to go to be taken care of that, that was the key. And I think even the, the temperature thing is a good idea. And especially at the beginning of putting on these races, that could right. be a template for future races. Anything you want to say um, to the runners out there and, and anything else you want to add to what you think the future of the the running race world is going to be like in the next couple of years? Let me start and let Andrea wrap. Um, the, uh, uh, the first thing I want to say is that participants in events need to remind themselves occasionally that those of us that are putting them on, and I don't know of any, and I'm sure they must exist, but I'd say 99% of all of us that are involved in the operations and execution of these events also practice what we preach. We are you. Um, and so we look through the lens that you look through. And our difference is, is that we actually study this and, and try to make it, as you just said perfectly, Jim, as safe as possible. There's a lot of cost that goes into that, but the benefit is to the runner. So I think if this is what we are going to be doing for the next several months, um, sit back, you know, get your training in, pull those shoes on, put your feet on the floor and go out the door and have a blast because we're all going to have fun doing this. And imagine the party when this is all behind us. Andrea? Yeah, I think the number one thing is fun. Um, you know, I think right now we all use running, whether we're using it because we want to get physically fit or right now we're all, we're all of us are working remote just trying to get out of the house. I mean, what would we do without running during COVID? I mean, we wouldn't, it would be so tough on so, so many of us. So I think we have to be super thankful that that's a sport that just really has gotten to continue, even though it's on your own. So I say, you know, go out, set your goal, whether your goal is running a certain number of times a week or running a certain number of times a month, whatever it is, I think that's super important. If you're going to go out and run an event, the one thing I would highly, highly encourage runners is go back to an event you've run before or go to an event where you know and recognize that event operator. Mm. One of the things that we are working so hard with people who've been in the industry for a long time is how to do this correctly. So I do encourage when you go out and you're going to run an event, make sure you know that that event's happened before or that race director's put on a number of races in your community before. And that'll give you that comfort feeling that, you know, this is someone who 
is seasoned, does understand, and knows how to take an event that they've always run and, and tweak it for COVID. They're not starting from scratch. And I think that'll make you feel good as a runner. But I'd say get out and run. And if you're not ready to get out there and run a race, it's okay. <laughs> run your park, run your trail, um, but ha have a great time. And certainly um, get out right now, especially when so many of us are working at home. This is just a great avenue for you to get out and um, listen to podcasts <laughs> yeah, yeah. Run or listen to music, whatever it might be, or just run on your own. So Thanks for uh, hosting us today, Jim. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and and you know that there's so many new runners coming into the running world right now that, you know, some of these races they, we're going to have some newbies coming in and, yeah. and joining the race. They won't know the difference because they never did one before, but it'll be surprising <laughs> when it comes back to normal. And maybe they're getting involved with some of the virtual races, which uh, there's a heck of a lot of virtual races now. Cree, I just wanted to give you a little forum here. I'd like you to talk about your Kipcher Primary School Foundation. Oh, thanks. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, the Kipcher Primary School Foundation, just to give you a quick thumbnail, in 2003, I had always wondered if, if I just went over to Kenya and I ran with these athletes, wouldn't I just get better? And like, isn't it like kind of a stardust that would spread over me and I'd come back and be a great athlete? And uh, that didn't happen. I realized how horribly inefficient I was as compared to these amazing East African runners. But in the process of that, a good friend of mine, Peter Tanui, who was a weekend warrior and a 17, 18 time NAIA All-American back in the 90s, great friend of mine. And he would work at our races. And uh, I asked him, I said, I want to go to Kenya and I want to see where you live and all that in the Rift Valley. And he said, sure. And so bought a ticket, went over and uh, was very, very excited to do that. And this is, and, and I said, uh, and is there anything, you know, that we can go look at and see? And, and he said, I want you to go to my primary school, you know, which goes through, you know, preschool all the way through eighth, think of eighth grade. Um, and I almost begrudgingly said, oh, fine, go to school, whatever. And, and I went. And by the end of that visit, because of some of the things I saw and how starkly different it was than in uh, what we were used to in America, we, you know, you, we don't realize how much we have until you don't see what we have. And you can compare the notes. Well, anyway, came back and said, maybe we should form a 501c3 to, you know, build a kitchen and a library. That was the big idea. And they thought that was a marvelous idea. And I said, well, I'm just thinking about it. But we felt obligated. And so over the next year, we did it. We created it. And uh, and it turned into it has no expense. They, the, every, every penny, every dollar goes directly toward a brick or a, or a tile or a piece of glass. Uh, I mean, we don't have any administrative expenses. Everything is uh, self-absorb. Uh, we, we absorb all ex expenses, you know, the individuals involved. So here we are fast forward and it's extraordinary. I mean, I, I have, without the support and help of others, uh, Andrea knows many of these and she's contributed as well. We've built a, a, a kitchen. We've updated the kitchen. We've updated, we, we built a library where they didn't have one we built we just finished building a very serious well 
that will, um, and, and I was over there in February is the last time I was on a plane to, uh, uh, and it will not only serve the school when everything's finished, once COVID is over, but a nearby high school and a medical clinic. And we also have, uh, through the great resources that we have here, uh, we've enhanced the medical clinic that serves the, that rural area. And, and I'm talking dirt roads. You know, you'll see uh, cows on the school grounds munching the grass. So anyway, it's been a great, great, a great fun. Um, and, uh, and I'm very grateful to everybody that has contributed money to that. And you can go to Kip Turi, K-I-P-T-U-R-E school.org, kipturyschool.org, and you can contribute if you want to. I'll put that in the show notes, definitely a link to that and anything else you'd like to send to me. I, I want to end it uh, by something that I found on you, Cree. Um, it might have been a um, article. I don't know. Uh-oh. But I pulled it out and I thought this was very nice. And it's called Your Philosophy. And it says, my philosophy carved into me after believing I might die in 2012 is to embrace every part of your remaining years. Don't put off that trip. If you have other sports, stay with them. I love downhill skiing and go after it almost every year. Don't ignore the precious pe- precious people in your life. Tell friends and family you love for, your love for them. Smile more often and don't be shy about complimenting others. Try to do at least one positive thing each day, particularly for others. I think that's just awesome. And it's what you do, both of you do, because it's a labor of love to put on the Colfax Marathon. And and thank you for, for being there for the running community and for Denver. Well, thanks, Jim. That, that was very kind of you to, I, I mean, I, that is exactly how I, using the current term, pivoted after uh, 2013. Um, and Andrea was gracious enough to help me through that, as was Renee Hamilton. I mean, I, God, I was a mess. Um, but boy, did I get humbled and boy, do I appreciate life and how much it's worth living right now. You know, I have to say something. It's interesting um, what you say, Cree. And, and when you're involved in somebody, you know, he leaves the team. You know, when it comes to race weekend, it's Cree. He's the operations guy. He's got the emergency action plan and everything else. But the amount of respect that you can gain just because you are an expert in your arena, but also because you have grace, um, is absolutely tremendous. And I have to say, our race weekend, it's wonderful to watch this big team in operation. Um, and I think when you've got kind of that leadership that's got those two pieces put together, you know, expertise and grace, I think it's it's tremendous. So thank you so much. We're like partners in crime at the Colfax Marathon. <laughs> we it's, it's great. We appreciate you um, letting us speak to runners. I really appreciate it, Jim. Oh, absolutely. Thank you both. Thank, thank you, buddy. Andrea and Cree, definitely two of the very best in the running community, and I truly believe that. Well, we now know that the future face of running events will be changed for months and even years to come, and we can't have unrealistic expectations. We need to let this play out, and at some point, sooner than later, I hope, things will get back to some sort of normalcy. You know, Andrea and Cree have extreme passion for the running industry, and they have really stepped up to put together the guidelines that we just discussed. 
And, you know, these guidelines are already helping so many races across the U.S. and abroad. So I thank them very much again for all the time and effort they put into that project. And of course, we all hope more and more in-person running events will happen in 2021. Cross our fingers. And I particularly hope that the Colfax Marathon events will take place next May. And you know, Cree has been an announcer at many running events, and he's been doing this for 40 years. And I know it's definitely another one of his passions, and I hope that he can get back on the road for at least a few of them in 2021. So runners, I got to tell you, we must do our part and follow the guidelines that are set in place at the races that we participate at. You know, race directors and event coordinators are working extremely hard to bring running races back. And in this pandemic, these in-person races, if they're going to continue, they must prove to local municipalities and to the community that they can put on a very safe race and be sure that anybody that participates in any way, shape or form will be safe. And it's going to take races starting off small and building up to get to that point. So again, please follow the guidelines that the races put into place when you participate. So if you want to get a copy of the recommended guidelines that Andrea and Cree put together and see what a running race will look like, you can go to the show notes at feelgoodrunning.com for this episode and download a copy. There is also other links available that include the Colorado Running and Walking Event Alliance and also Cree Kelly's Kipteri Primary School Foundation, where you can give a donation if you so wish. And as I mentioned, please share this important episode with your running friends. They need to be informed. And if you are connected with a race in your community or know the race director, please share this episode with that person or persons. All right, runners, as I always do, I will end this episode with a running quote. Yes, a quote. And there was no author to this one, but I really liked it. It goes like this. I was sad. Then I bought some new running shoes. I'm okay now. How do you like that one, huh? I was sad. Then I bought some new running shoes. I'm okay now. So if you are sad, go to your local running store and buy yourself a brand new pair of running shoes so you can also be okay now. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. Get on our mailing list at feelgoodrunning.com. You can find it there. You will receive a free gift of 101 plus running related links. All those links at your fingertips for podcasts, apparel, publication, shoes, and so much more. And it's free for just signing up to our mailing list. And I hope you do. I would appreciate that. So, as I always say, remember to just show up. Oh, yeah, and get out there and vote, all right? Get out there and vote. It's very important. And always, always feel good about your running. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and spread the feel-good running vibe around you. Head over to feelgoodrunning.com to access all the links and resources mentioned on the show. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good.